Hi, folks. Welcome back to Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast, featuring distinctly qualified global change makers that are dedicated to creating a healthier planet, one where diversity is lived, expressed, and celebrated. My name is Julian Guderlei. I am committed to a world that allows people of all walks of life to thrive. And today's episode is part of the Design Science Studio Series, a collaboration with the Buckminster Fuller Institute. And my guest is Umer Zia, who is a living systems technologist, an architect, and the founder of naturegadget.com. He's also an author of an upcoming book titled Tree Tech, 50 Lessons for Life, which is a project within the Design Science Studio. And he is also the assistant professor at the National College of Arts in Lahore. So welcome, Umer. Thank you, Julian. Hi, everyone. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to talk with you, you know, um, for so many reasons, uh, mainly because you're such a creative artist. And just like, for those of you who are watching the, the, the video version, his, your background is one of your many, many, many drawings and paintings and doodles. And, you know, it something about people in this design science studio cohort that that really inspires me is when people just keep creating art. There's just a nonstop uh, kind of stream of expression that's coming out of people. And you're a shining example of that, Omer. So I'm, I'm super stoked for that. And I want to, I want to hear, I want to hear about your, your journey a bit and your approach a bit and, and your projects. And, and maybe let's start with a design sense studio and, and what made you yeah. say yes to be part of this cohort. So, uh, Julian, I didn't know about the, the Design Science Studio. Uh, there is no advertisement, marketing campaign over here, and anything like that. So, it started, uh, I think, in 2015. Yeah. So, uh, I was doing my master's then, and I came across this book, uh, Synergetics uh, by Sir Richard Buckminster Fuller. And I remember that uh, I just, and first, first, initially, I just like flipped through the book and I landed on some drawings and I, and in that book, I landed on a page where I saw that where he had geometrically demonstrated how one plus one equals four. And before that we had like heard about it and we used these, these kinds of metaphors all the time, but that was a geometric demonstration of that, like two triangles change their vertices and you have four, like this tetrahedron. So then I started reading up on it. And uh, I remember that uh, I was just talking to Amanda the other day and I told her that I clearly remember that I used to miss my bus back home because of because I would get so absorbed in it. And sometimes I wouldn't even fully understand it. There's, there was a lot of mathematics in it, but there was something very captivating in those, in those words even, in those drawings. So I started reading up on it and I would randomly search up on Buckminster Fuller, like just randomly search up on his projects and this. And I landed at this PFI website from where I was directed to the Design Science Studio. And um, I think that uh, it wasn't like I found this great opportunity and I instantly applied. I, I genuinely believe that I've been preparing up for it for like last 30 years of my, 20 years of my life and 32 years of so um, all my projects, uh, they are like, I've been, I've received a lot of criticism that look, this work is not practical. And you know, what are you doing making these drawings and all that? But uh, it's, uh, I just 
I enjoy creating something and I'm, I, I love like, making these unfamiliar connections uh, between those familiar phenomena and all. So uh, I had been preparing up for the design science studio. So when it started, I met these beautiful, beautiful people, Nico, Roxy, Amanda, Faith, all, the entire cohort. And I was like, and, and I realized that, you know, um, these guys are doing, they're already doing more robust projects than me and they inspired me. And I interned, that was like this, this uh, it's contagious, you reciprocate that. And I started giving in my best uh, to the studio. And now here we are after six months, we've produced these great projects. They're gonna be launching much. So yeah, that's how we met serendipity. It's beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah definitely. I mean, it pulled, it pulled a lot of us in this incubator, uh, developmental yeah. incubator for art, yeah. for inspiring a regenerative future. And you just said it, maybe some people might criticize that not everything looks productive, but this is kind of the point, right? The 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 measurement of productivity from the old kind of dying paradigm if, i mean i'm going to be drastic it's almost like an enslavement to absolutely. as our to our species and it yeah. makes absolutely no sense in anyone's heart and so when we bring heart and mind together i think there there needs to be space for this this creative expression because it's our true essence it's our true uh, way of being and and it's it doesn't matter if you're from uh, you know, South America or Africa, yeah. or if you're from uh, Canada or Germany or, or Pakistan, it's the human spirit, right? Absolutely. Julian, I'm like, I'm, I haven't like achieved a lot. I'm not like great in any way. I don't want to be great. I love enjoying little, doing little things, but I'm a living example of what you're saying. And my, my ideas resonate with everybody's ideas. And here I am, I've I have very little exposure of the world outside of the cultures, uh, other cultures, but uh, you're absolutely right. And I think that uh, one of the most important, like this paradigm shifts that, is, that that's happening is in the education itself. Um, because when teachers uh, start telling this to their students that look, this is like not possible or something like that has like very long lasting effects. So education is going to change uh, dramatically, I think, in the coming days. Because uh, it, it's not about the teachers themselves. I listen to like some of the students sometimes and they, they don't easily buy things that teachers try to tell them. And I love that. And so this is hope that the living world uh, as, as, as an organism is just, it's just moving on and whether, no matter how how much people resist, then this 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 flow will continue, and we we it's better that we become a part of it and we align ourselves with it and really just um, let this creativity flow. I think it's really important to envision things that are not practical, you know, because everything is impractical in, at first. So. Right, but then so, the impracticality or the rectangular kind of uh, square box design, there's something about it that makes that makes no sense when we look at it with a a lens of kind of natural intelligence or or synergistic yeah. kind of natural living systems. Yeah. And, and this is how you created Nature Gadget, right? With this understanding that nature um, creates 
and integrates yeah. its tools and and living participants yeah, yeah. in a in an integrated yeah. living way yeah so uh so the idea behind nature gadget is this that our uh so we human beings have evolved um within and without in, in on account of our cultures and traditions uh we have evolved uh, parallel uh, to, to our understanding of nature, the natural processes. It's like a two-way thing. By understanding them differently, we rebuild ourselves and that's how we, we've moved on. Uh, so we moved from this mechanical uh, level of biomimicry towards material ecology, Snelly Oxman, and then towards synergy. And, <clears throat> and I realized that, you know, this idea of biomimicry, like, imitating other processes in nature is one thing, but most of the organisms in nature do not necessarily do that. They just do their own thing. They don't copy other things. So how do we like really embrace this worldview that we work with, when I say with this flow of this living earth, if we think like that and we create like that, how do we do that? And the answer for that I found in Buckminster Fuller's work uh, in Synergy. Uh, because uh, for me, the present understanding of living, of living systems is that uh, you see when different living processes come together in a very certain particular way, like Fuller demonstrates through his geometrical forms, when living systems come together in that particular way, then life emerges, the organism becomes alive, or organism or anything becomes alive. So I thought that how do we make technology alive? And instead of copying uh, a very specific organism or that the systems of the, that organism, I need I have technologies like we have living systems and we have technological systems. And how do we integrate those technological systems in a way that their sum is greater than those technologies alone? So that was the idea behind Nature Gadgets. And uh, yeah, I. Uh, I've already like made 30 of them and uh, I have on my paper, I have resolved, I have 20 more. Uh, and you will see in, on the website that I have, in, like we have this literature review in research, uh, empirical research. I have given this, I don't know what review, but I have, uh, I have presented examples of latest technologies and projects that have already been developed by people around the world and companies around the world. So it's like a design review for that. So I hope that I there's this disconnect between how we uh, how the living systems uh, like regenerate and recreate, and how we human beings have uh, uh, like developed this um, what Mansur Bakili calls a very linear way of thinking, this cause and effect relationship. About that, I'll just, I'm sorry, just dabbling on, <laughs> but I just had one more thing to that. That cause and effect, if you think about it, that idea, the whole edifice of this empirical research in science is based on that, that how subtle relationships do you develop between the cause and the effect? If they're not, if they're inconsistent, your research is weak and so on. So. Uh, but the problem is that uh, that is not even the case anymore, uh, because if you, if you keep on going back. So if, if, if you look at that first cause, then which is an infinite, 
because uh, then it has its own uh, timeless relationship with itself um, uh, of, of this scientific science of science and design uh, an extension of that so the, so yeah uh, uh, so yeah we, we, we really need to embrace that chain I think and uh, yeah especially with the rise of the complexity sciences and you know emergence and fractals although this I, I, I reckon that this is like 1960s 70s, 60s, and 80s for the US and the, and the more developed world. But over here, this, these, these ideas are being discussed now. We're, we're like 60 years behind. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so. Well, in, in, in one way of looking at it, but that's, that's also just assuming that um, around these visionary thinkers like Buckminster Fuller, everyone yeah. was feeling and thinking this. I think we, we're also aware that uh, including in North America, yeah. this was a rather small cohort of people that was just like so switched on that they understood that the natural living yeah. systems are where it's at. You know, this is this is really, I mean, it, I'm going to make a very plain metaphor, but it's either uh, ecology and finding our place in ecology and from there designing as a keystone yes. species within nature's miracle, or it is the pyramid of hierarchies. Yeah. And, and so really, yeah. I mean, that's still been going on everywhere else in the world, yeah. especially in the Western world, pretty strong even since the 60s. Hmm. So to ask a question there for you, maybe because we just kind of rambled into the, the topic of intercultural differences across the planet, you know, um, let's bring this idea that we just ventured into with your project Nature Gadget into the context of 144 evolutionaries or revolutionaries meeting and and this idea that we we're here to design yeah. a world that works for all of life and you know i say this in my intros as well it's something I'm, I'm truly committed to but at the same time the humility that we don't necessarily know all the steps there and this is part of the the awakening that this world is possible is that we don't need to know all the steps but we we yeah. we humbly learn how to make one step at a time and and start integrating and reconciling with with parts of the world and with, with parts of our society yes. that, that were maybe not online, uh, either literally or, or metaphorically before. Yeah. What are you, what's your take on that? Because you're sitting in Lahore yeah. in Pakistan and, and you know, in, in yeah. Punjab and, yeah. and, and this yeah. is a very unique perspective yeah. um, for me at least, you know? <laughs> right, right. So, yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So, Julian, um, let me just quickly give you like a, like a shit, uh, like some light on where I'm coming from, and then I answer your question. That then will make more sense. So, for example, I went to this. I studied from the National College of Arts, which is like 150 years old, the old, oldest school in the country. It's a very small school. It was designed the arts and crafts movement, and our teachers were craftspersons. They weren't. They didn't have degrees and all that. So, but the quality of work that we have in our archives, those stencils they made, they didn't know about fractal geometry. I've actually published a paper in II Journal of Spatial Architecture plus Interior Design, a paper on Pinjrakari as a, as a fractal craft, Pinjrakari's wood carving. And they made these patterns just by, by this infinite flow, they channelized that, 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 that pattern and um, because we are like living in this fractal dimension as we call it, 
Uh, so we are a part of that. And the quality of the work that Crossley produced was so tremendously, it's just glorious, magnificent. And then we have this modernization and all that. And the quality is comes down and it, obviously the quantity increases, emphasis shift towards quantity, mass production and all that. And I think as we become more and more aware uh, of this, what you're saying right now, this issue of culture, um, I think the emphasis has, is again shifting towards the quality. Um, for me, when I am asked about this, um, uh, this capacity to make a global change, for example, uh, I, I thought about it a lot that maybe, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is to like really launch this global initiative where we just like make this great change. But I have realized that it comes down to like your heart really, it really, it, it, it converges to you like you were saying. And in that moment, when you're really true to yourself, whether you're producing music or drawing something in that moment, you're the best version of yourself. And that is like, that, that is how you're actually making the most significant difference. Yeah, so that just that totally is, that arrived is, through my whole body. Wow. <laughs> uh, oh, thank you. So that, that is why, Julian, I love drawing most. When I'm drawing, I'm listening to David Bowie and I love rock and roll. And, I, and then gradually I'm now just deeply absorbed in the drawing and I love that. Obviously that little piece of paper is not gonna change everything, but like, I feel like at my best at that time. So I think we're moving towards quality again. That is a way, um, yeah, so. Yeah, this is, this is huge what you're mentioning because really this idea that, um, you know, planetary change and planetary evolution happens with a master plan, I think is, is what we have to come to terms with. That's a dead end. That's kind of what the globalized world tried to create. It's the opposite. It's about switching on the hard spaces and the creative expression of all the participants and, and you, you know, sitting there drawing, listening to David Bowie, that's you participating in it. Julian, I, I, I lost you there for a minute. Could you repeat your question? Sorry. Yeah, no worries. I said, it's not about having a master plan. It's about yeah. being switched on in the hard space, as you said. And when you sit there and draw and you're listening to David Bowie, then, then you're participating in it and you're emanating that energy. Yes. Yes. There was actually no, yes. no question so far, but if you want to say something more yes. to it, go ahead. I'm going to cut this out, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah I just want to add one point because this is like a key word here, master planning. Um, so only recently, like a year back, I, I applied for this uh, PhD program in urban planning and my thesis was the title basically was that like cities are premise was that cities are necessarily unpredictable than how we uh, than how we really manage them. And I remember that when I presented that hypothesis, they were like that if cities are unpredictable, then why bother doing this in the first place? So I said that we're still like evolving. And if you look at Isfahan, and there are many other examples, Isfahan is in Iran, that the the uh, the Shah or the king who, who uh, like envisioned that bazaar, which is like an architectural marvel today, he said that, okay, you know what, let's just make this, uh, this mosque or uh, this huge mosque complex so far away from the city. And the people said that nobody will go over there, you know why? And, and he had this vision that if I 
put that activity like so far away, then people will start come, come, coming and going and it will develop like a path along the way. Then commercial activity will come and people will like this. So I think he had this vision for like centuries ahead of his life. And that actually happened. So what Dave, Dave Snowden calls it is putting, putting in constraints instead of saying that, okay, this is my blueprint for the city, you put those constraints which change the behavior of the people and then just let it be. And just to uh, intervene in the system at such a deep subtle level, you have to have very complex and very like elaborate understanding of the system. That is like that deep simplicity. So master plans are definitely not working anymore. That is so true. And Lahore, my city is one of the oldest cities and it's a perfect example of that. Uh, our master plans become obsolete before they are ever, they are even pr printed out <laughs> and distributed. They become obsolete. The cities, yeah. So absolutely agree. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's, it's, there's, there's, there's obviously a, like a reality to the planning and there's obviously a reality to the masculine ability of, of frameworking and maybe um, creating a, 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 a grid or a mental anticipation. But then there is a certain piece yeah. of reality that, that wants to allow for this, um, let's just call it chaos for the moment, this creative chaos. And when it doesn't, life turns yeah. really square box. Yeah. And I think that's why we're talking yeah. about it is because the creative expression of an yeah. artist and, and the design science cohort and Buckminster Fuller's vision yeah. is in alignment with the natural principles. And so, um, yeah, it's challenging because it's somewhat yeah. paradoxical for, yeah. for uh, the old paradigms lens, but it, th that yeah. challenge is maybe a good one. I love that you mentioned cities all around the world. Yeah. Isfahan, I have the feeling I read about this in the novel the physician like a decade ago or so. And I was just mesmerized by this idea that there's like a city in Iran that is just so wonderful that it like escapes my, my yeah. Western lens, you know? Yeah. Hey, Omer, I would love to hear about uh, your project in the Design Science Studio. And I mentioned in the intro, it's called Tree Tech and it's an exploration of wisdom of the trees in 50 life lessons. And so um, let maybe walk us through what we're, what we can picture it. It's, what I'm picturing it yeah. like is it's, 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 it's a, a session or a sequence of drawings with these life lessons. So my question is, is just around, yeah. just maybe explain tree tech and the journey that you're taking people yeah. on with this, with these 50 life lessons. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, um, so uh, in 2010, we went to this beautiful place uh, called Kailash um, on the north, in the Northern Pakistan. And it's, it's like, a, it's a, one of the oldest ancient tribes on earth. Uh, they speak one of the, they speak this language, uh, the other one, uh, one of the two languages which are not connected to any other language. The other one is Bach spoken in Spain. So um, it's a very ancient tribe. And we went there and there was this um, dance happening uh, by the tribes persons, men and women and children. They were just revolving around the tree. And I participated in that and I felt this like uh, this centripetal force and centrifugal force. I have written down the whole account in the book in detail, but that was like an epiphany and that was like, uh, like being connected to the tree. And then um, I, in the last 10 years, uh, whenever I would recall that experience, um, I thought about the physical construct of the tree 
it's it's so many processes and so many technologies that 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 uh, that are embodied in the tree, and when those technologies come together, you get this majestic experience that is greater than than the physical construct of the tree itself. So I start looking at those technologies, start making taking down notes, and then finally put put them down together in like 50 life lessons. Um, and I've illustrated those um, uh, lessons uh, in a language that is familiar to us. So uh, uh, for, for, for example, uh, uh, it, it, it'll take some time if I explain it, but I'll just try to be brief. So for example, the, if you look at a tree, like the cross section of the trunk, you'll see that it has like this uh, continuous um, flow of reinforcement. So in, innermost part is uh, least flexible, the outermost is most flexible, but this, this continuous flow that makes it, makes it withstand, that, that helps it withstand those lateral forces against wind and all that. But we human beings, we take so much pride in our architectural capacities and we still use steel as like a reinforcement agent to the concrete and they are very discrete two things. The concrete, it's, there's compressive loads and tensile loads. So if you draw a lesson from it, you realize that our human emotions are also very discrete. So at one time, I'm very happy with you. And the next time I found out that, look, you thought, you know, I was a complete idiot and you said something and I'm like, oh, he's so bad. And my, there, there won't be like, they're discrete emotions and they're based on the knowledge of things that we have. So if you know about someone like you, you have this idea that the person or, or not person like anything is good or bad and you have new information about that thing that will change the way you feel about it and that is how our emotions are also very discreet uh, that's not the case with the trees so we have a lesson to learn from it to 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 realize that the more we know about others other cultures other human beings the less like aggressive we are the le the more subtle we are emotionally towards them. Uh, and that is why trees are very wise because they don't react at all. They have this, that is like a proof, like a proof that they have uh, greater knowledge of us, of the context around them. So they are more subtle. So that is one lesson. And that's, and then I illustrate that uh, by making like a cross section of the tree and the reinforcements coming out of it so that we see that, okay, that is present in this tree, but we don't see it. So I will illustrate it using the visual language that we're familiar with. Uh, and I, that's not my project alone. Uh, Nicholas Alcala, Nico, uh, is the creative director of that project. It, without him, it would not have been possible. And Roxy and uh, Matt and Becca, uh, they were the sound directors. Roxy managed the whole project. It was a complete DSS collaboration. Uh, such a, so yeah, yeah it's coming it's out. Taking a little bit more yeah. into some of the details, so so I think the primary medium yeah. is going to be a like a a medieval style book. Uh, maybe tell us a bit about that primary yeah. medium, and then also the digital medium in which you're working with. Yeah. Okay. So the book is will be published by Not a Cult. Um, Daniel and, and uh, Hollis are such wonderful, beautiful, beautiful people. We meet like every the week and they are keeping track of the progress and they're going to use like this great paper and uh, every every time you buy a book like one dollar one point something dollar will go uh, to planting the trees and they have this great plan so it's going to be a really good book and then there are going to be these blank pages in it so if you're going to a forest you can keep it with you and you if you see like if you draw a new lesson you can like take down notes and you can do a lot of it. 
So it's going to be amazing. It's coming out on October 16th by Nautical Publishers. And, um, and the other thing is Topia. Uh, Topia, I've, uh, we have created this environment, like a complete forest inside Topia. Uh, it will again be launched with the main event of the Design Science Studio, uh, where you can go and you can uh, really like immerse yourself in the experience of the book. Uh, there will, there's the sound effect, there's the soundscape, and there's a, a visual content is there. You can even invite your friends over and have meetings over there. Um, so yeah, that's the virtual experience. And if you could, uh, sorry, Jillian, just one. <laughs> if you could share this link. So we are trying to raise uh, like enough uh, funds to create an app also. So that, so if you could- Tell us the about the app, be, I was about to ask, yeah. Yeah. So it's great, it's Nico's uh, original idea, it's amazing. Uh, so the idea was that, um, if you could take the app with you, is install. If you install the app in your smartphone and you go close to the tree, so we are uh, figuring out ways to, for you to be able to read the pulse of the tree and receive a lesson from it. Um, and of course, it's uh, there are going to be some other features too. So it's, it'll be a very customized app. Uh, so yeah. Wait. So so I want I want to unpack this. So that means the app will measure the heartbeat of the tree. And then yeah. as the user, it is your job to calm your system down through breath and introspection Absolutely. Absolutely. so that your heartbeat Absolutely. matches the Absolutely. beat of the tree's heartbeat. And then what? Then the app reveals you one of the lessons. From I, the I couldn't have articul articulated this. Wow, this is this Absolutely. is wild. I mean, thank you for um, really articulating beautifully. We we should definitely <laughs> get in touch with HeartMath around that. Yeah. I'm sure that they either already know how to do this or want to do this. Um, the Heart yeah, Math Institute, yeah. um, way way back, I yeah, think over absolutely. two years back, I interviewed them, um, okay, and great. and yeah, yeah, that just sounds like the, the the right way to go. I mean, you know, uh, like a decade ago, I started hugging trees, and and that was kind of funny and weird, and and, and maybe hippie to some people. And then um, nowadays, it's it's not just about hugging trees. It's more so about, as you're saying it there, like tuning in, like being able to feel the energy of the tree. That's really the next frontier of this like truth seeking or this like connecting with the natural pulse. Uh, so super fascinating tree tech. Uh, I'm going to link this out as well. People can find it as... Uh, online on design science studio dot well design science dot studio slash tree tech and it's gonna as you said launch in topia with the rest of the design science cohort one and then there's gonna be a book and then there's gonna be an app and um, we're gonna share the link for the fundraising as well super exciting um umera i have i have a, a question or two more for you and you kind of started out there in our episode today, and that is about changing education systems and changing ways of education. And so maybe, maybe we can yeah. like uh, loop back into this and get some more wisdom out of you because you're an assisting professor um, at, at a university um, yeah. or an arts college. And, um, you know, if you were to change the way education is run, if you were to just like make it up with what you've observed, what elements yeah. would you would you add like what would you do what would yeah. you include into the education systems yeah yeah so first of all my vision would be to 
move the uh, the action, the initiative away from the administration and faculty and towards the students. That would be my vision. And for that, the first thing I would do would be to um, design sort of a framework or a template where uh, the teachers are trained to get the best version out of the students. And that, that's how I found my mentor, Irfan Ganisa. He's still alive and we meet, I meet him regularly. That's what he did. He was very good at it. He didn't have a PhD or anything. He was an architect, but he used to have such a broad spectrum of reading. So whenever students would go up to them, he would ask them as many questions as, as he could. And then he would actually go back to his office and read as many things as he could and find out as many things as possible and then share them with the students. So the idea is that the teachers really need to like go back a little and give the students a space and our job is to guide them. In this part of the world, one of the things that I have been struggling with is very unfortunate is that uh, I have also sensed a certain level of insecurity uh, in the in the faculty generally, generally, that uh, there comes a point when, look, the idea is that the teachers really propel their students forward and beyond where they are of themselves. So, so when you have this idea that I have to create 10 visionaries, 20, 100 visionaries, then you're, you're like, you are very, in a very humble position and you have to do a lot of work uh, to help them, guide them, navigate through their projects. So that is that is the first thing that I would like to change because presently we have these uniforms and the teacher knows everything and that, that, that's, that is not working. And I realized that I don't really need to like resist that because the change is inevitable. And I see it in the questions the students are asked and this uh, disconnect. So it's inevitable. So the best thing we can do is that we synchronize ourselves with the change and uh, get the best version. And it's also difficult because if you have 10 students who have 10 different projects, then you have to do 10 times more work if you want to guide them. And if you know only one thing that I know that look, uh, if I start telling all the students to make their projects manually and start drawing, well, no, maybe one of the students like drawing, but the other one start want to play with other. Uh, one more problem that we've seen is that uh, we st start idealizing uh, our, like the people we look up to. And it's not like that. We are all humans. And uh, our mentors uh, used to be very human too. So they, used, they would sit in a cafeteria. And so the, when you're very humble and you, you don't have these insecurities that look, I'm this doctor and I have to come to class and everything has to. When you don't have those insecurities, then the emphasis shifts towards the towards what you're saying. And if it makes sense to any student or anyone for that matter, then uh, then that that is more effective and significant. So um, yeah. So the other thing was just like that's what I would do. I would shift this response sense of responsibilities this uh, this action and initiative away from the teachers and towards the students so that teachers have to uh, teachers realize that they need to get the best version of the students and for that they'll have to have a very broad uh, spectrum uh, of interest 
interdisciplinary influence. Mm, this is exciting. I love the examples you brought up. And um, I have two more questions. And so one of them is for yes. anyone who is inspired listening to our episode today to get close to the Science Science Studio and maybe apply for a future cohort. Um, what's your, your suggestion, your inspiration, your advice yeah. on, that, on that side? Look, uh, well, <laughs> so I wish the Design Science Studio had the resources and the capacity to admit everyone, like all over the world. But uh, for me, this was the, simply the best learning experience of my academic career, even learning career. Um, because uh, uh, you asked me what would I change, uh, I would, I would like uh, do try to do something like this, where we are all doing what we love to do, and we are uh, like really helping each other out and collaborating. And this this is another change that is happening, moving away from competition towards collaboration. And we're now realizing, and that's how nature works, that by collaboration. Uh, you increase your own productivity as well. So it's this, this uh, myth that if you succeed and the, from the other people and you're the winner, then you have, like, you're successful. No, that's yeah, that's definitely successful. a, a so, shitty myth. I'm with you on that one. Yeah. <laughs> so, 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 yeah, just apply, just meet these beautiful people. And this is just, yeah. Yeah, big time. I, I, I'll, I'll copy that yeah. double tap on what Omer just said. Last question for you today, Omer, is if we're yes. if we're gonna go into, I want to hear a visionary a visionary uh, answer from from your heart space. Okay, so get ready for this. If we're zooming out yeah. uh, into the future, seven generations, and we're becoming aware that we're ancestors yeah. of the future, what is the 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 dream, mm, yeah. the vision, the yeah, like your 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 prayer for 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 our species, for this planet, um, you know, to then, to connect in seven generations. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, Julian. That is, uh, I'm glad that you saved this question for like for the last spot. Um, see, there is a lot of suffering in the world, and I've been doing this price only because. Uh, because of the support from my wife and my family, and I had like enough money to get by and do these things. And um, and especially in this, uh, the, the, you see, the poverty and the hunger in the world. Um, if you're hungry, then your mind is you cannot possibly think about um, like. Uh, Maybe you can. I mean, I can't say that. Buckminster Fuller is uh, an example himself. He, when he like really broke down all those barriers, and he was wasn't like on top of the world. So, but my vision is that everybody in the world has enough food and enough money to fulfill their basic needs. That's my vision. That's all I I hope that. Because after that, anything beyond that is just their enabling. By providing everyone those basic things, you enable them to become the best version of themselves. So this is one constraint that really, like, that is stopping a lot of people in the world from achieving their full potential. 
So I think, again, quoting Dave Snowden, that, that would be the enabling constraint. And Fuller also, you see, when, when Fuller said, when Fuller uh, suggests that we need to move away from weaponry and towards living, livingry, uh, and technology has a pivotal role in this, what I understand from it is, is not that we create technology directly that enable that makes that happen. Uh, it is that perspective. He realized that at this point, we will have understood the living systems in a way that we will be creating technology that enables that. So it is all like con connected and nature gadgets is like my experiment with that. How can I achieve that? So it is uh, all connected and that technology is definitely, uh, then it's not just gadgets and product. It is a worldview, how we think. And it could be very, something very simple as a pen maybe, but the way the resources have been channelized towards it, the creative energy, all of this is, it, it is, its impact is much larger than its physical existence. So, so yeah, so I, I hope that in seven generations, we have at least achieved at least that, that everybody's able to Beautiful. do what they love to do. Yeah, yeah. Let, let, let that sink in yeah. and may it be Thank so. <laughs> I'm, I'm right there with you. Umera, this was fun. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for doing the work you're doing in the work and uh, just keep on expressing yourself, so man. This is, this is the gift that we're all, we're all looking for in each other. Thank you so much, Julian. Thank you, everyone who's listening to this. Uh, I'm so deeply grateful to Julian. We had a little conversation before. I hope we meet again. Thank you so much. Deeply humble. That's a wrap. Thanks for listening. Here we are again. This is your host, Julian, and I hope you truly enjoyed this episode of Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast. Check out my Patreon, best way to support the podcast, myself and the mission, lots of exciting perks and ways to be engaged to receive more value. That being said, thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to hit subscribe, review the show, share it with the people you love and have yourself a stellar day. Thank you.